Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am March Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to talk about continuing on our series with presidents. Today we want to look at a little bit of the background of the presidency of Richard Nixon who was president from 1969 through 1974. And unfortunately for our country and for Richard Nixon, when we think of Richard Nixon, immediately we think of and immediately our minds go to Watergate and the tragedy that Watergate was and the scary times that transpired through Watergate and the situations that people were trying to justify in breaking the law through that Watergate era is very chilling. And unfortunately, a lot of what Richard Nixon's presidency accomplished has been overlooked because of this major dark hole called Watergate. So we want to look a little bit at the presidency of Richard Nixon and try to put in perspective a little bit different of what he did and what he accomplished as president of the United States. If we remember back, uh, he was General Eisenhower's vice president for eight years. He was a short-term congressperson. Then he was a short-term senator from the state of California. And then he was asked to be General Eisenhower's vice president. And Richard Nixon was only 39 years old when he became vice president under Dwight D. Eisenhower, and these men had totally different personalities. Ike was a planner. Ike was a plotter. Uh, Ike rarely blew up. He thought everything out. He put things in the motion. He watched how things would develop. He watched how situations could change, particularly, and he learns all that, obviously, as the Allied Supreme Commander in Europe. Richard Nixon was opposite. He was um, sometimes ill-tempered, wore his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, He would rant and rave very quickly, oftentimes, and have to go back and either rethink it or apologize for it and come to a different conclusion. Uh, Ike was more laid back. And General Eisenhower needed someone on the ticket, one, who was a politician, two, who was a well-known Republican, because no one really knew what Eisenhower was until he decided to run for the presidency. Three, Ike needed a conservative Republican who had a track record of fighting the communists, and Richard Nixon was part of the HUEC committee hearings and helped prosecute Whitaker Chambers, which is a whole other story. Ike was old, older, I should say. Ike was 60, 61. Uh, Richard Nixon was 39. And lastly, Richard Nixon is from a very large electoral college state, California. So it would fit together for them to be the president and the vice president. After eight years, well, and let me say this, that it is commonly known that General Eisenhower did not particularly care for the personality of Richard Nixon on many different levels. So oftentimes, President Eisenhower 
would send Richard Nixon out all over the world on foreign policy tours to bring back as much information as possible to keep the Eisenhower administration out there in the forefront all over the world. And honestly, listeners, this is what we see. Actually, it was the greatest strength of Richard Nixon was his foreign policy. When Nixon finally became president, he was well-versed in foreign policy because of his eight years that he spent as vice president and President Eisenhower sending him out all over the country. As we looked in previous shows, Richard Nixon loses the presidential election of 1960. It's the thinnest margin of votes ever recorded in American history for the presidency. Nixon lost by 118,000 votes to John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Richard Nixon decides that he is going home. He's going to practice law. And he told the press corps that he's retiring. And he told them once again, you're not going to have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. And Richard Nixon always, always, always disliked the press. So Vice President Nixon goes back to California in 1960. In 1962, there is a gubernatorial election in California. Richard Nixon decides that he would come out of retirement and run for the governorship. And in my mind, you were congressman, senator, and vice president. In my mind, I would have thought that he would have easily won the election to be governor. He loses the governorship election in 1962. He once again, at a press corps meeting, says that he is retiring from politics and that the press won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. So he goes back to practicing law. In the convention of 1964, Vice President Nixon gave one of the introductory speeches for Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater was not totally sold on Richard Nixon. If you remember, Barry Goldwater was a very, very conservative, down-the-line conservative Republican. And he wasn't quite sure how conservative Richard Nixon really was. But Vice President Nixon gave an introductory speech for Barry Goldwater's nomination in 1964. And then, if we remember... The 1964 election for the Republicans was an absolute disaster. Disaster. The Democrats under Lyndon Johnson, they get 69 Senate seats. They have over 300 in the House. Barry Goldwater is just blown away by the 1964 election. And the Democrats now control the House and the Senate and the White House in 1964 under Lyndon Baines Johnson. Richard Nixon was not ready to give up his thinking that he could run for the presidency. He talks to his family, but he doesn't talk to anybody else publicly. So in 1966, Nixon decides that he was going to make a run for the Republican nomination for the presidency in 1968. Well, what Richard Nixon needed to do, he really needed to change a lot of his image. His image was that he was somewhat gruff. He was somewhat coarse. 
He could be mean at times. He could be very hard to get along with. And Richard Nixon realized that he had to recreate or create a whole different image if he wanted to become president. Joe McGinnis has written a great book called The Selling of the President. And it's all about Richard Nixon, how Nixon made himself out to be this new and improved Richard Nixon, that he was more compassionate. He was more friendly. He was more open. He was not going to be combative. Uh, he actually several times goes on The Tonight Show and is interviewed on The Tonight Show. And Nixon's writers write him a few jokes. Nixon tells a few jokes. And he's funny. Also, if you remember, if you're old enough to remember Laughing, Richard Nixon appeared on Laughing. New and improved image. A few times, Billy Graham had Richard Nixon at his crusades and would have him say a few words to the American public. So Richard Nixon is trying to redo his image as this new and improved, I've learned from my mistakes, I've changed my personality, I really like to become president. And then in 1967, uh, Richard Nixon decides that he is going to South Vietnam. And he's going to visit our troops in South Vietnam, and which was a major big deal that a former vice president would do that. He talks to our troops, and then he has a news conference, and he makes a statement. He said, the anti-war protesters at home are prolonging the war. Well, who is he appealing to? He is appealing to the conservative Republicans who are hawks and even the more conservative Democrats who are hawks. And he's trying to get the idea across that Nixon is going to be a different president if he gets the nomination. So in 1968, at the Republican convention, it was George Romney, Mitt Romney's father, Nelson Rockefeller, Governor Ronald Reagan, and Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon receives the nomination for the Republican nomination in 1968. And the Democrats were in total chaos and disarray by 1968. Their convention in Chicago was just an absolute atrocity with the rioting going on, with the protests going on, with the yippies leaving the convention where the, the police of Chicago were night-sticking protesters because Hubert Humphrey was the nominee of the Democrats. He was Lyndon Johnson's vice president. Hubert Humphrey had to hold Lyndon Johnson's Vietnam policy. The majority of Democrats were now against the war. So a lot of the Democrats did not want Hubert Humphrey who had to support the war purely for politics to make it look good. And if we remember tragically, probably their nominee would have been Robert Kennedy, who was assassinated in June of 1968. And he was running and probably would have won the, the nomination, in my opinion, as the anti-war Democratic candidate. So the 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 Democrats were in total disarray, and Nixon began to say, you know, if they can't even run their own convention, how are they ever going to run the country? 
Nixon in, in his acceptance speech said, we have been in the valley and we must once again climb to the mountaintop. So Richard Nixon is now portraying this idea that he is going to be a law and order president. He is going to reestablish the American society and the fiber of our society because it was totally, totally, it was being shredded in 1968. A lot of us historians say 1968 was the single worst year in American history. Candidate Nixon's platform was he had a secret plan to end the war. Okay, what is it? It's a secret. But I have a secret plan to end the war, which we don't ever know what that secret plan was. Candidate Nixon said, you vote for me and I'm going to restore law and order to America because there was over 100 race riots in 1968. There was well over 100 anti-war violent riots during 1968. And a lot of Americans began to see that we're beginning to lose our country. So Nixon's going to restore law and order. He also promised he's going to conservatize the Supreme Court. Earl Warren, who became the chief justice under Dwight D. Eisenhower, had much more a liberal court. And many of the things that were passed under the Warren court, a lot of people did not agree with. So Nixon decided he was going to conservatize the court. So he appointed, when he was president, Warren Berger. And then William Rencrest, and William Rencrest went on to become a very conservative chief justice later on. And also Richard Nixon called for the silent majority in America. He, Nixon, continued to say, it is time for the silent majority in America to stand up. The people that get up every day, go to work, pay their taxes, go to church, coach Little League, do everything as a respectable citizen, that is the silent majority. It is time we stand up and, so to speak, retake our country. Retake our country. And then the last one, Nixon promised, and we've seen almost every president since Richard Nixon promises, Nixon promised and proclaimed that he was going to keep the most open White House in the history of America. And we know exactly how that was not true, particularly if you've ever looked at and read and studied Watergate. So when President Nixon wins the presidency, and he won it with 43.4% of the vote over Hubert Humphrey's 42.7, George Wallace, the racist candidate, won 13.5%, which is to me boggles my mind that an open racist like George Wallace, would receive 13.5% of the vote. But Nixon won the Electoral College. Nixon won 301 Electoral College votes, the 191 by Hubert Humphrey. Nixon won 32 states. Hubert Humphrey won 13 states and Washington, D.C. So Nixon now believes he has a mandate when he comes to the presidency. And so what he begins to do is put in what he calls his domestic policy. And he makes a statement. He said, I always thought that the country could run itself domestically without a president. So what he meant by that was he started a program called New Federalism. 
And that was to divulge a lot more of the power and the money to the states and local officials to be able to use for the state the way they thought what they needed the money for, rather than having the strong federal government. Richard Nixon also believed that desegregation should be locally controlled, being overseen by the federal government. And that politically for Nixon was a compromise between the liberal Democrats and the old Dixiecrats. If desegregation could be controlled and not forced by the federal government, but overseen by the federal government, it would cause it to become easier and faster with the least amount of issues and problems that would happen at that time. President Nixon also established a biracial committee to plan and implement school desegregation. So Nixon comes up with this uh, biracial committee to plan and implement school desegregation. This program was well accepted by each state, particularly the southern states who were really fighting with and battling the segregation issue. So when people say, well, Nixon didn't want desegregation, no, he did. But he realized the best way to do it was not force feed it down someone's throat to cause more violence, but to bring it along and slowly implement it and allow the states to oversee it with the federal government overseeing that. And this is one program, listeners, that really worked. It really worked. In 1968, 70% of all black kids we're in all black schools because of Nixon's policies by 1970, which is two years later, it is down to 18% of black kids still attending an all black school. So let me say that again. In 68, 70% of all black kids were attending an all black school because of Nixon's uh, strategies with the new federalism and the, the desegregation and the biracial commission. It went from 70% to two years later, it was down to 18%. Most of us historians believe that this was the first step towards the Republican Party regaining the South. For many years, the Democrats controlled the South, both in the House and the Senate. And in 1970, 1972, we began to see a shift in the southern states to a more Republican viewpoint, particularly in Congress. And so by 1980, the southern states were now under the control of the Republican Party, particularly in the Senate. We had major inflation. So in 1971, Richard Nixon put in 90 days of wage and price controls, and that's a short-term fix, not a long-term fix. Well, inflation went from 14.5% down to 3.5%. President Nixon also cut the dollar loose from gold, which meant that no foreign nation could come here and turn in our paper money and get our gold. Foreign countries were coming over here and exchanging 
American paper money for gold of Fort Knox because it was backed. And so Richard Nixon put an end to that program. President Nixon also endorsed the federal or the Equal Rights Amendment in 1972, and he encouraged for the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, which has not passed as of yet. But if I believe correctly, one more state would need to pass it, and the Equal Rights Amendment would then be put into law. A lot of people are also surprised that Richard Nixon appointed more women in his administration than even LBJ. So there was more women in the Nixon administration doing jobs than there was under Lyndon Johnson. So these are just a few of the things that began during the Nixon years that we see that's so overlooked because of Watergate. Let me give you a couple of quotes from Richard Nixon, because some of these are are just astounding. Because as we see today in America, we have been polarized. Both parties are polarized. A lot of people are polarized. And we have stopped listening to each other. We have stopped being respectful of each other. And we just simply cut each other off. Let me give you a couple quotes from Richard Nixon. We cannot learn from one another until we stop shouting at one another, until we speak quietly enough so that our words can be heard as well as our voices. What what a powerful statement that is that we could uh, only if we could adhere to that today in America to get back to a more unified nation. Another quote. We must always remember that America is a great nation today, not because of what the government did for people, but because of what people did for themselves and for one another. That rugged individualism that Richard Nixon believed in. And if you remember the quote from President Obama a couple of years ago that was totally opposite of that, here's one for women. Certainly, in the next 50 years, we shall see a woman president, perhaps sooner than you think. A woman can and should be able to do any political job that a man can do. What a, and though we're not there yet, and obviously the 50 years is up in another year, it sure looks like we're finally getting to that place where we're going to have a woman president. We do have a woman vice president. This is the one Nixon was anti, he hated the communists. And this is what seen Nixon, a little bit of his, of his sense of humor here, talking about Castro. He said, Castro couldn't even go to the bathroom unless the Soviet Union puts the nickel in the toilet. <laughs> and that is, yeah, I can just see him saying that and see, and, and hearing him say that. And then, The last one I'll leave you with, Richard Nixon said his inaugural, the greatest honor history can bestow is that of a peacemaker. And certainly throughout President Nixon's political presidency, unfortunately, we did not see a lot of that. But what a powerful quote that is. What a biblical quote that is. The greatest honor history can bestow is that of a peacemaker. Only if we had seen that during the Nixon presidency, because all the good 
legislation, all the good things that President Nixon did was overshadowed because of him not because him being a lack of a peacemaker and because of Watergate. So we'll continue in another show talking a little bit more about the Nixon presidency and the situations that he did in foreign policy and domestic policy and then also Vietnam. So this is WFYL 1180 AM, Working for Your Liberty. <laughs> 